Welcome to the Hartwell Studio Works Sports Branding Podcast. I'm John Hartwell. I'm the brains and pencil behind Hartwell Studio Works. I'm a sports brand designer in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is for front office personnel who want to harness the power of sports branding to win more fans. This episode is the audio presentation of the Three Things Small College AD Zoom conversation I conducted with Dan Tudor, the president and founder of Tudor Collegiate Strategies. Dan gave a presentation titled Three Common Recruiting Mistakes Nearly Every College Coach is Making, talking about how ADs and coaches can recruit more effectively in this time of pandemic and canceled college sports. The purpose of these three things presentations is to share ideas that are practical, relevant, and actionable in helping small college ADs navigate through the shifting landscape of the 2020 pandemic. I hope you find this conversation helpful. Enjoy the show. John, thanks so much for letting me uh, contribute to your uh, your content here and looking forward to today. And uh, we've limited it to three things that the problem that I have is that I always think, all right, I can whittle it down into, into one little, you know, concise conversation, a couple of key points, and then I start working on it. I think, boy, there's so much more that I could talk about, but we're going to limit it to three today. And hopefully for your audience, that will be, uh, that'll be relevant and practical uh, information that we uh, we get to share. So um, let me just jump right into this. And uh, John, as you mentioned, uh, we're encouraging participation and uh, an audience questions. So as this goes through, I'll, I'll rely on you to uh, jump in, ask questions and, and speak for the audience. But the reason I think that this is important, uh, especially as we get into fall, is this is a, a fall and it will be a recruiting season unlike any other in college sports history. So whether you're an athletic director or a coach that's watching this, everything has changed. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that has stayed the same. You still have to get your, your numbers. You still have to recruit the best athletes you can. But so much behind the scenes has changed, we find, in our research of how athletes are making decisions. And that is affecting college coaching programs as well as athletic departments. And you're seeing the repercussions of that. Those that have not prepared for this and the conversations that we hear happening among athletic directors that we work with on a client basis, um, you know, they're ta- they're telling stories about peers in their conference or around the country that they know who feel a little blindsided. Everything was so routine. Everything was sort of so on autopilot that when this hit, they weren't prepared to change. So I think in identifying the mistakes, it's not just listing here are mistakes that you're making because all of us know or are fairly aware, hopefully, of mistakes that we commonly make and we work to correct those. These are common mistakes that in 15 years of working with athletic departments, coaches, and athletic directors, I still see happening. And now they're being accentuated by this current crisis that's going on. So I want to identify the mistakes, but then give ideas and, um, and, and practical steps that you can take right now today to begin to correct that uh, in um, in your recruiting. And uh, so I think right now there is um, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger uh, among college coaches. And this, what we're going through now is not why you got into college coaching. This is not something that you bargained for. And yet here you are, you have to deal with it. And when mistakes happen, when you aren't performing at your best, that's when you tend to get frustrated. And especially 
when it comes into, um, uh, you know, when you get into the idea of what causes the mistake and you really, upon self-reflection, look back and say, boy, this is my fault. I'm actually the one that is kind of messing this up. I'm the one that's making this mistake. That for a coach is frustrating. So I coached high school football for a long time. And I can remember one particular season, uh, we had a lot of younger players and uh, they were overperforming and we coached our rear ends off to make it happen. We're in this game against our rivals and it's not starting well. And as I'm looking at what's going on in the field, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we didn't go over this. I should have emphasized that. Called the timeout. I went out onto the field, got in a huddle with, with my team and I used language that I don't usually use. And I lost my temper. I was angry and frustrated, but you know what? It was my mistakes that were causing what was going on. So in the same way that if I'm being honest, that season, that particular game, which did not turn out well, was largely my fault because I didn't take a realistic look at what we were facing. I think in some ways it's the same for college coaches, athletic departments who are frustrated. Why isn't this working out the way that I wanted it to um, I want to get you to do a little self-reflection because again, for me as a coach, what I realized is that I wasn't prepared. I didn't take the steps that I needed to really understand who the opponent was, what we were facing. And that was my fault. Uh, the other thing is that I wasn't understanding the big picture all the time. So in that season where we had this, uh, this significantly younger team compared to most of the competition we were going to face, they didn't have the skill sets. I was trying in some cases to, to do the same things on the field that we would ask older kids to do and more experienced players to do wasn't fair. And that was my fault. I didn't understand the big picture. Um, I didn't act fast enough. A lot of the times as coaches, we like to get in our grooves and boy, we love telling ourselves that whether it's in coaching, recruiting, how we're building a department, what we learned along the way in our career professionally to get to the point where we're at now. Um, I know how to do it. This is my system. I have my ways and a lot of times that causes us to not act fast enough when things change and, and where change is needed. Uh, and, and lastly, uh, there were times where I refused to change. I could see everything that I needed to do, adjustments that needed to be made, and I just refused. I was the 10-year-old in the corner stomping my foot, throwing the temper tantrum. Why can't it be this way? Why can't we have this you know, kid that we had a quarterback last year? Why can't he be the quarterback again this year? Well, it's not realistic. And so in many ways with recruiting, building your department and what we're facing now in 2020, 2021, this, this next uh, year that you're involved with uh, from a recruiting and coaching standpoint, if you don't adopt some change uh, and you don't correct these mistakes, it's going to be an even more difficult year. And that's what I think we want to avoid uh, if, uh, uh, you know, whether you're working with John uh, on the branding side, you're working with us, uh, we've been on your campus maybe to train coaches on the recruiting and messaging side. If change doesn't happen, then uh, then you're gonna get the same results and maybe even worse results this year because of all the unique challenges. So what are the three common mistakes that I wanna focus on? Uh, and uh, John and I were talking uh, before all of this started that uh, I, uh, I tend to be the person who who says, um, yeah, I'm going to whittle this down and I'm going to um, uh, really focus in because it's only three mistakes. Well, in reality, we could talk here for probably four or five hours on different mistakes and things that need to be adjusted. But we want to keep this to, uh, to just the three big ones that we see happening. 
So the three common mistakes that we most see happening, uh, certainly at small schools, but even at a lot of Division I schools that, uh, that we could work with, um, coaches are making the mistake of inconsistent communication with their recruits. And again, if, if those of you watching have followed us or you've read any of our information, gone through any of the trainings, we've been to your campus to lead a workshop, you know, this is a big focus for us. The reason is simple. Inconsistency when you're putting it out is going to mean inconsistency when you're getting it back. And, and when it comes to recruiting, if we need the relationships to happen, if we need the, the consistent contact to happen, when we're inconsistent in our methodologies, uh, we're going to get that in return. Doesn't work. It's a horrible practice. It's one of the, the things that has ruined more college recruiting careers on the coach side than anything I could name. So that's why it's not mistake number one, and we're going to get into how to fix that. Mistake number two, coaches are making the mistake of not understanding what factors are driving their recruits' final decision. So as, as coaches and really just as humans, we tend to view everything in the world uh, through our prism, through the way that we went through our experience. So if we had a tough upbringing, life wasn't fair, we really had some, um, some hard obstacles, whatever those are, we tend to view the world like that. And by contrast, if uh, we were just the naturally gifted athlete, everything was easy, um, I, I just picked up new coaching techniques and was able to, uh, to just put them into practice right away as a student athlete, we tend to think, well, why can't everybody do that? And the, the realistic uh, outlook is that if we don't constantly measure and look and understand what the outside factors are that are driving the decisions that are being made by recruits who have their career in your hands through their decision whether to play for you or not, um, we need to do a better job of understanding that. And most coaches don't. Most athletic directors uh, don't insist that their coaches get better at this and understand it and help them with, uh, with resources and information that could help them do that. And in this environment, that's really going to be uh, something that hampers a, a college coach's success. So we want to try to give you some ideas on how to fix that. And lastly, of the three that we're going to focus on today, coaches are making the mistake of not asking for a commitment early enough with their prospects. Um, one of the things that just happened yesterday for uh, NCAA institutions, which if you're watching, you might be one of those institutions, uh, was that the uh, the in-person recruiting ban was extended through the end of this year. So until at the earliest, January 1st, 2021, you cannot have in-person recruiting contacts um, within certain division levels and throughout the NCAA. Well, the result of that is that now all these kids who were positioning themselves to hold off on a decision and wait and hopefully get to visit your campus in the fall, now they can't do that. And who knows if it's going to happen in the spring? There are so many unknowns. What you need to understand is, well, it's frustrating for you, certainly, and you're trying to figure out how to, how to recruit, how to put together a plan without the ability to, uh, to do that, uh, to have them on campus and in person. On the flip side, your prospects are no, trying to... didn't answer for another one, sorry. So I didn't... They're, they're getting some audio, sorry. Um, um, one of the things that we um, uh, that, that we're finding is that coaches who aren't understanding what's driving decisions on the other side of it, uh, on the the athlete side, um, they're it, it's it's hard to know when to ask for a commitment. So we're going to go into that 
and uh, go into detail with that. So let's jump into the first one, inconsistency. Um, here we are in the middle of the pandemic. This visual should should represent something very, uh, uh, you know, now it's just part of our common, uh, our common everyday language, which is we, need, we needed at the very beginning of this to flatten the curve. We didn't want the spike. We wanted something, um, you know, consistent, if you will, uh, over a longer period of time so that our medical professionals could help handle the, um, uh, the, the flow of, of potential sick individuals and treat them and our hospitals wouldn't be overrun. So we wanted to flatten the curve. We didn't want the spike. We wanted something over an extended period of time. Coach, the same thing is true in recruiting. In your, uh, in your contact, in the way that you recruit, what we see happening most of the time is that when a new class is recruited and coaches start recruiting that class, they'll have all this contact at the beginning. They'll send stuff, they'll email, they'll send the letters, they'll send the stuff from admissions. Everything is flowing in all at once to the prospect at the beginning. And then as time goes on, it drops off. And then you're left with texting and trying to call and hey, you're going to come to campus, and we stop recruiting, and we just start begging them to come to campus, and are you still interested, and are you going to come here? And that is inconsistent when it comes to how recruits want to be uh, be recruited. So coaches and prospects, if these two bubbles were to represent you or these two um, uh, graphics were to represent the way that, that um, recruiting happens, coaches tend to be all at the beginning. I have a lot to talk about, but then I run out fast. Prospects, what we find, like it when there's a little bit of information flowing in over a longer period of time. Uh, and part of this is uh, is what it does to their psychology, which we'll get into in a second. But there's a reason that they want it over an extended period of time. So if I had to, to average it, you see the, the dotted line there representing sort of the average of all this. We don't want to be see the spike at the beginning. We don't want to see the drop off at the end. We want consistency throughout. And more importantly, your recruit wants that consistency. Because when you give them consistency, it does a couple of things psychologically to them. First of all, when the timing is right and they are, there is this regular flow, they keep engaged. They don't have to wonder if you're still interested in them. Because what happens with the spike, we've found, coaches that are making that mistake, what we find is that athletes get used to the spike and think, wow, they're really interested. This is great. There's all this contact coming in. And then when it trickles off very fast, and then go, you might go two or three or four weeks without contacting them. When coaching staffs do that, the immediate thing that prospects begin to think is, oh, uh, they must not be interested in, in me anymore. I'm not getting as much. They're measuring you. So what we want is consistency. We found that to be the best case when we're, when we're helping clients develop their messaging plans and what they should be talking about in recruiting. We want to space that out over a long period of time because, again, the common problem the coaches have that they tell us about is they run out of things to say. I don't know what to say after the first two months. I've said everything. We don't want that. They want consistency. Um, Throughout the last 15 years of measuring it, the most common time frame that they say works best for them as recruits is when you give them something every six to nine days that explains to them why they should compete for you, why they should come to your campus and compete for you, and number two, how are you better than my other choices, which isn't negative recruiting, but it's making the case 
and giving them evidence of why your program, why your campus, why living on the campus, why being in that particular college town should be something that they want. And most coaches make the mistake of not doing that. When it's every six to nine days outbound, that doesn't mean you have to talk to them every six to nine days, but an email, a letter, something that puts it into their hands where they're able to soak it in, focused on one main point, that gets them to track with you, to remember what you're telling them, and to prove that you still want them. So it tells the complete story in a sense. The goal is through recruiting, not to just throw everything out all at once, a bunch of stats and facts and figures. What we want to do is tell the story of why they should pick your program. And when you tell that complete story, not only just about athletics, but about your uh, your, your life on campus, the degree that they're going to earn, all the different aspects of their decision, that's what uh, begins to sway them and, and draw them over to your side. And, and when you're consistent, it proves that you want them more because they're measuring every time a coach is interacting with them and the frequency, the regularity, uh, what they're saying in their message, uh, they're measuring. You have to step back for a second and coach, you did this, or if you're an athletic director, you see your student athletes, you hear how they chose your school and what do they choose it on? Well, I just felt like you wanted me more, or I just felt like this place was the right place. Or when the coach was contacting me, um, he or she was, was saying these things to me. Every step along the way, they are, they are measuring and they're trying to assess where you fit in their blocks. We don't, as, as humans, we don't like to be um, sitting with so much of an open mind that we don't know what we're doing. We like to order things. We like to prioritize. We like to figure out where are my, uh, where are my first choices and, and who's second, third, fourth, and, and so on. So as you're doing the initial recruiting communication, what we find with prospects is that they're trying to figure out where are you in my order? And they're, all they have to go on is what they, what they feel like you are communicating with to them. So, so if you're inconsistent, you, what that tells them is that you're probably looking at them as a prospect as not very important because it's irregular contact. When it's regular contact, even if they are interested in your school right away, what they're going to say or feel, more importantly, is, wow, they really want me. Wow, now them compared to the other inconsistent coaches, they seem to want me more because they're uh, they are contacting me more. So this consistency issue is huge. Number one problem that we want to correct, one, number one mistake, because it proves that you want them more and it gives you the ability as the coach then to enter in and, um, and, and make this, uh, just make this happen. So that's the first mistake that we want to correct is inconsistency. And that's a big mistake happening right now. Mistake number two is, again, understanding the different factors of how they make this commitment and what's influencing them. So uh, we're all about research, a lot of data. Whenever we train coaches, we work with clients, everything, every, everything that we do is based on data and feedback and focus group testing with student athletes. So one of the big student athlete focus groups that we uh, did two years ago was on the different levels of contact, sort of tying into the first point that we just made. And when we asked them about the different factors, the different ways of being communicated with from a coach, how would they rate that? From one to 10, where is it important? 10 being uh, the most important uh, element or what they wanted most of or what influenced them the most. We asked 
hundreds and hundreds of student athletes to take part in this across sports, across division levels. When we got the final results, this was the, the, the image, the graphic that we, that we uh, ended up with. So we have letters, emails, social media, social media, direct messaging, phone calls, text messaging. Those are the primary ways that a coach would recruit other than in-person contact. But when we're, when we're in the traditional messaging side of recruiting, this is what they are, uh, are focused on. And one of the first things you should understand about this is it's not just one method. It's a variety of methods that they want. So you see there's some, some, uh, some spread, some variety about how they want to be communicated with. We're the same way. In our daily life, if you see information about a product or a service that's being advertised, you're probably seeing it on television, online. Uh, maybe you're even seeing it in some print ads or a billboard. There's a variety of ways that we want to be communicated with. Because it's when it's only one way, um, it begins to just, be not as impactful. So they want and expect from coaches a variety of conversations that are happening. And what they're what they're basically trying to to um, to to get through a longer period of this process is if they they mean certain things. So letters, for instance, is on paper. Um, when I see a piece of paper, when I have a piece of paper, that is physical proof that you want me, that you're contacting me, and that matters to me. Now, I'm not suggesting that you move everything over to, to letters, but letters are one of the most underrated marketing tools in college athletics because I think a lot of coaches think, well, nobody communicates by mail anymore. And my point would be exactly. That's why it's so unique and, and players like it, prospects like it. Uh, I tell coaches all the time, coach, as proof that it's so impactful you or certainly your parents probably have a stack of recruiting letters left over from your college days that you've saved. You don't throw them away. Why not? Because it's, again, physical proof that somebody wanted you. It's a document. They never throw them away. And I think that's powerful. Over time, imagine if you had 14, 18 months worth of messaging, which include uh, every couple of weeks, a letter that went out to them telling them the story of your program, a different aspect of it. And that got saved. And that stacked on their desk begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they begin to measure what you're doing versus other people. That's what we're talking about when it comes to uh, the importance of that. You go to emails. Um, that's one of the most important ways that they that they uh, take in recruiting information. Coaches, I think, have not all coaches, but many coaches have convinced themselves that kids don't read the emails anymore. Not true. They'll read them. If they're not if they're not well written or written in the right way, it's hard for them to respond to them. But they're reading them. Um, phone calls—they don't like talking on the phone, but they love getting a phone call from you because again, it's proof that you want them. And then you see text messaging and the rest. Um, they need a variety. I will point out on this graph, on this uh, study that we did, look where social media fell. Would anybody expect that to be in last place when it comes to what impacts them in their final? decision. I'm not saying don't do social media, but so many coaches have abandoned things like letters, emails, even phone calls um, in favor of only texting and only social media. And when you do that, you're taking out three major influences in the way that they take in information and are convinced uh, that that information uh, then from your school is going to be the best choice for them. So the big thing I want you to take away from this is that they're looking for variety as well as consistency 
Uh, and each one of these things represents a different sort of a different way they take in that information. One more stat to show you on this whole understanding issue, uh, because we always talk about um, what what gets them to respond and what gets them to be drawn to a program. We did a study as a part of our big coronavirus and recruiting study in late spring, uh, just a couple of months ago that we did, uh, which if you go to dantutor.com, you can find that study in our blog uh, and read it, download it. It's a PDF that we've uh, made available to college athletics. But some things have changed with the pandemic that I think are important. And this, again, goes to this whole idea of are you understanding and not making the mistake of not understanding how your kids and prospects are making a decision. So two of the big changes that we see uh, over the last couple of months is that the overall cost of the college, that first green bar going across, that ranked basically tied with another category in now what is the, uh, the, the one of the primary considerations of whether or not I'm going to go to and compete at a certain school. Before, it wasn't that high. It was something that uh, that college athletic departments, college coaches, athletic directors had to deal with. I mean, cost is always going to play a certain part, but other things could be done to overtake it in the decision-making and in the priorities. Right now, because it's caused such an economic disruption, such a financial uh, disruption in many families personally, that the overall cost of the college now and what you are compared to somebody else is going to play a major role in their decision making, especially for this class. I mean, I would predict the 21 and 2022 class uh, as well. It's going to play a major impact. So, if you're an athletic director watching this, what I would ask you is: ha Are your coaches confident in how to tell the story of why? your university, why your college is worth what you're asking them to pay in tuition. If not, that's going to be something that you want to address because that's going to be something that whether they talk about it or not behind the scenes is something that the family is using to make that decision in most cases. And the other thing is the quality of the education, which is interesting because we never really saw that being a primary factor. I think in you know pre-corona, uh, we had a lot of parents, a lot of athletes tell us in focus group testing that we did that, look, I've got these four colleges I'm looking at. I, you know, they all have my major. I think, I'll, I mean, I could do well with all of those um, going, you know, going, uh, in other words, I'm going to be fine wherever I go. I'll get my degree and I'll be good. And what we see now is primarily because they've done online school in the spring and many of them are continuing that this fall. There is this sudden awareness that, wow. Um, I, I never really appreciated what I had before. Now I really see a difference between a quality education, a quality outcome versus something that I can now measure and compare against that is not quality. Um, so the quality of the education is another talking point, another recruiting story that your coaches, or if you are a coach, that you and your staff are going to have to tell better than you've ever told it coming into this recruiting class because they are measuring that. Am I getting my money's worth? And once I pay for it, is it going to do something for me? If you can't answer those questions and you're making the mistake of not understanding that those are at play, uh, please stop, figure out a way after this session to address those things and come up with answers to those questions uh, because they're driving the major decisions. Uh, there are still some traditional things that are at play as well in these findings that we did uh, as a part of our coronavirus study. And the blue arrows represent um, some of those traditional ways. So 
they are still trending towards, and, and the thing that you have to work against if you're not the least expensive school or if you're not rated that highly uh, in U.S. News and World Report rankings that just came out, um, they're pretty value in that second line down where I feel that I wanted the most. That counts for them. Um, fourth line down, where I feel most connected with the coach and the team. Um, second to the last bar, the pink bar towards the bottom, where I felt it was most like home. Right. So what's interesting about those is those aren't logical things. Feeling a certain way, feeling wanted, feeling like home, those are intangibles. I can't put a stat to that uh, when I'm presenting that that to a to an athlete, a prospect. It's something that me, my staff, my department has to create on campus when we are allowed to get them back to campus. But even during this process, again, they're measuring it all on a feeling that if you don't incorporate and prove to them that you want them the most, that's going to be a struggle. That's going to be something that you're going to um, have a really hard time overcoming. So you have to overall, my point here, number two, is you have to have an understanding of what it is that they're using to make their decisions and build a recruiting plan around that. And the, the, the coaching staffs, the athletic departments that do are having successful years. Uh, and even last spring, some of our clients had their most successful year ever why? Because all they did was pay attention to overcoming these mistakes and not assuming certain things that weren't true and creating that feeling that drove that decision. All right. So last yeah, point, and then we're going to get to some. Yes, sir. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, we do have a question uh, to go back to that method of communication. Uh, we've got a question here. Does the preferred method for communication from coaches vary by sport? Great, great question. Typically, no, and it doesn't actually vary when we break out the the sort of the subgroups, even male to female athletes. It really, you don't see, I mean, in everything, you're going to see slight variations, but this is, if we put this total, um, uh, total findings up against individual sports or individual, even division levels, uh, male, female, it doesn't change much. So, uh, and even on the um, the blue arrows, the feeling side, um, we get some coaches that would assume, well, okay, those are the female athletes because they're so interconnected. The bond really matters to them. Actually, what we and we talk about these in our workshops that we do, the training workshops that we do uh, on campuses, is that this is actually something that's even more important to male athletes than female athletes. The feeling, being connected. Um, so. You know, again, there's not, uh, if we saw wide variation, we would have to break down our training to say, okay, look, if you're a, if you're coaching a men's sport, we're going to do this type of training. If we're talking, uh, if you're coaching a women's sport, we have to do this type of training. Uh, that's going to be different. We just don't see it happening. These teenage minds tend to think the same when it comes to recruiting. Uh, that's a great question. Okay. So, um, so moving on, um, Asking. Remember, we talked about point number three, mistake number three was that coaches aren't asking early enough for a decision. And those of us who are married remember uh, the emotion, the planning, uh, the questioning. Okay, is this is this when we ask for the commitment uh, from uh, from the person we're going to marry, and uh, all the things that went into that? Uh, and it's scary. And I think that. In the same way, coaches are a little bit scared of asking because I think they feel if I ask this athlete for a commitment, um, it's going to be something that they could say no to. And 
I'm going to pressure them and I'm going to ruin the whole thing. It was me, my fault, because I asked too soon. What we find, as similarly to uh, many marriage proposals, the other person was waiting. They just wanted they just wanted to be asked. And where this is important is we see um, what we see happening through this coronavirus, and especially now this fall hearing that the NCAA has pushed back in-person recruiting until the first of uh, the year 2021, it messes up the plans of recruits. Last spring, uh, recruits who are positioning to have a great spring club season, go into the fall travel ball season, whatever that was, uh, and they were waiting on all these decisions. Well, when all that got canceled, when their club teams weren't traveling anymore, when the NCAA said, no more visits, do you know what happened? What happened was, um, similarly, when we went to grocery stores and people were panic buying toilet paper and hoarding that, we had kids jumping in and say, okay, coach, coach, I know I said I was going to wait for spring. I'm not going to do that anymore. I want in. In other words, I want that scholarship. I want that opportunity. And so in the coaches that we worked with, the early advice that we were giving them is you need to go ask these prospects to commit because they're panicking. They don't have any other alternatives. And we sometimes forced coaches to get out of their comfort zone. The ones who did had these incredible classes that got signed and these kids that maybe they normally would have lost, they were panicked. They just wanted to place the security and now they're coming to those schools. And I think what I want an athletic director watching this to understand is that your coaches uh, need permission and they really need some accountability from you and some pushing from you to make sure that they go out and they are opening the door by asking for a commitment if they feel that this is an athlete that they want um, earlier versus later. Because what's going to happen this year, let's assume that, um, knock on wood, that that they open it up and you have in-person recruiting again on January 1st. Well, then, great. There's this flood of, of action that's going to happen then in the winter and early spring. What if it doesn't happen, though? That's the thing that's driving the what-ifs on the, the prospect side. And so already we're starting to see earlier than the normal fall commitments without asking, you don't get those. And what this, the bigger picture of this that I want to run through very, very quickly is there is a certain process. There's a certain step uh, order of things that we've identified that athletes have told us, here's how we want to go through this process. When we ask athletes, okay, so how should coaches go through this? If there's a right order, walk us through what that order is. And they've done that. And I want to, just again, very quickly go through uh, this, that uh, this is one of the training segments that we typically do when we go and train an athletic department and their staff on, on how to do this. I'll go really quick, though, just to give you a good sense and get to my main point at the end. Um, job number one, they say, at the beginning of the process, coaches, to get us to pay attention. You have to do something uh, in the way that you're interacting with us, proving that you wanting, uh, want us Get us to pay attention at the very beginning. We need a reason, especially if you're a small college and I haven't heard from you before and I, I don't know what your brand identity is and I don't see you on ESPN, don't know anybody who ever has gone there. You need us, I need a reason to pay attention to you. The second thing they want us to do, step number two in their world is I need to be asked for a reply. I don't know if I should talk to you as a coach. You're intimidating. Uh, I don't know anything about you. I don't know what to talk about. Um, those of us who have teenagers at home, we know how that mindset works is dad, unless you tell me to do it, I don't know why I should do it. So you need to ask them for a reply. 
Um, when you ask them to take action after that, it's proof in their world that you want them, that you're serious about them. So we have to demonstrate something that happens when it comes to action to take. Um, what then happens is that as this momentum gets created, they sort of pump the brakes a little bit and say, whoa, whoa okay, this little college I've never heard of or the D1 I'm not sold on, whatever it is, uh, they, I, I feel myself getting drawn to them. That's exciting, but I need first, I'm going to stop because I don't know that I can trust them. There's a huge lack of trust between prospects and coaches that they're getting to know because I've heard all the horror stories as a prospect of how coaches have tricked players into committing and signing, and I don't want to be that, that prospect. So coaches need to prove that they can uh, be trusted. And there's a lot of different ways to do that, which we don't have time to get into today, but they need to do something that proves that they can be trusted. Uh, and many times consistency um, answers that question. Uh, so kind of uh, is a nice crossover there. Um, step number five, coach, you need to tell us what to do. If you need something, what is it? When do I do something? Do I come to campus? I need direction. I need a plan. Um, the other thing, and which happens at the end, towards the end of the process, is now I'm ready to spend a lot of time interacting with you. Not at the beginning. And this is one of the major differences between coaches and prospects is coaches want good contact at the beginning. I want the hour-long phone calls right at the start so we can get to know each other. And for prospects, they have this slow ramp-up that happens then at the end. Now I want to spend time interacting with you. Coaches tell us all the time. It's incredible. I bring them to campus. They meet our team. And then after that, that's when all the good stuff really starts. That's the mindset of a team. And again, if you don't understand that, you front load all this information and it doesn't stick. Whereas if you, if you even it out over a longer period of time and expect the good stuff at the end and plan for that, then you have successful recruiting. And the, the seventh point, the last point that they take us through in these focus groups that we do is after all that, now their advice to a coach is coach. So if you're doing all that, ask us if we want to be on your team. Without you as the coach asking, they wait. And what my fear is, the mistake that's being made is a lot of coaches then wait as well. So you have the coach waiting, the athlete waiting. Guess what happens? Nothing. Except eventually one of your competitors jumps in and says, hey, we want you. Oh, okay, I'll come there. And then your coach or you, if you're the coach, what does their bi-weekly call with uh, the athlete <clears throat> checking in. How's everything going? Well, coach, I just committed to that, that coach over there. What? I thought you were interested in us. I was, but they asked and, or they said I needed to make a decision. And so I, I, I did that. There's an incredible amount of pressure right now on athletes that this whole situation has, um, has, um, has put them under. And, Coaches have to be the leaders. Coaches have to be the ones to say, here's how you do it. I want you. And are you feeling like you're ready to commit? Um, so the asking part is critical. If your coaches or you as a coach aren't asking for the commitment, nothing is going to happen. And understand that the attitude that, the most pro that, that most of your prospects have is a little bit of panic and fear that all this planning they've done over high school and club and all the personal training they've gotten isn't going to pay off in an opportunity at college and that terrifies them and they're going to run to the coach that gives them the first opportunity. And that's what we see happening uh, already this fall. We saw it in mass last spring and that's something that we want to try to have coaches uh, avoid. So those are three very common mistakes that we do a lot of training on uh, whenever we work with, with athletic departments, coaching staffs, 
that I wanted to bring to you just to open up that conversation. Um, and John, I'll turn it back over to you, but that's my contact information for anybody that doesn't get a chance to ask a question or you didn't want to ask something uh, in public, my email, that's my cell phone. Um, we do a lot of training all over the country every year um, at small colleges, large colleges, working with staff. So however we can help your coaches or help you figure out a, uh, a better way to put forward your message and go take prospects through the, uh, the process, um, we'd love to do that. And I would love to answer any questions, John, that any of the audience has. Great. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you for all of that outstanding information. And as Dan said, this is very much intended to be an interactive forum. So if you do have a question for Dan, please either use the raise hand function there in your participant box, and I'll see it here, or shoot me a question in the chat box. All those, cha all those questions do come into me. And uh, Dan, I do in fact have a, another question here. Uh, realistically, at a D3 school where we are not offering athletic scholarships and the cost of attendance is based on academic scholarship and financial aid awards, how mm -hmm. soon can a football coach ask for a commitment and what does it really mean even if they've said yes in the fall? So the power, fantastic question. <clears throat> the power that you have as a, as a coach, whether you're a football coach, softball, basketball, the power that you have when you're not offering a full scholarship, let's say, and you're waiting, in theory, you're waiting on all these other things that have to take place to know what the final, the final offer is. The power that you do have is your roster spot. You get to decide who's on your roster. They can come to the school and, um, uh, and, and be a student. If they need to wait for that, then, um, then, okay, they can just be a student. But the power that I have, let's say, as a football coach is – I, I get to decide who's on my roster. And the thing that, that uh, most coaches do is they, they mash up incorrectly. They mash up what the school process is, and they make that their process. It doesn't have to happen that way. Um, what we see happening is that the, the, the coaches who say um, ahead of time, look, you've got lots of time. We're not going to be done recruiting until, let's just say, um, fit, you know, for a football coach, say January of 2021. So you still have four months or so to go through this process. Um, I, you know, I might ask you before that. If you're not ready, that's fine. But you need to, as a coach, identify when this process ends and communicate that ahead of time. And look, if you're a football coach, if you wait for your college to make a decision, that's going to be late March, April at best sometimes, and every college is different. But my worry is that we're waiting for a package to come in. When you're doing that, you're making it all about the money and not about being on your team. And if it's all about the money, you're training me as the prospect and just us as humans in a, in a non-recruiting situation, we're just going to buy something. If it's all about the money, then you're telling me, okay, well, it should be who gives us the most money. So, coach, I really wanted to come to you the most, but you're three thousand dollars more than the other coach. So, first of all, why don't you like me? Why, why am I three thousand dollars less in your mind than the other coach or the other school? Um, and shouldn't I take that? I should take who gives me the most money. We don't want to do that as coaches. We want it to be about where the fit is. You're wanted here. That's the power that you have. And so, um, one of the most difficult training aspects that we that we go through 
on campus is getting coaches to cross that that gap of of saying I'm going to put a a firm but fair deadline on them when we're going to be done recruiting and if they aren't ready for that we're we're going to walk away um, because when you do that you then are able to go to the next kid on your list sooner um, and 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 look at re- re- recruiting just more realistically so. I guess, again, to get back to the answers, I feel myself going off on a tangent a little bit. To get back to the specific answer that the coach asked, uh, how can we how can we speed up recruiting when we're waiting for all these things? Um, first of all, when you are recruiting an athlete and you're ready to ask them, I hope that they, in general, would fit the criteria that, that, are, that is at the school, even though reasonably well, okay, they'll probably get in. Um, you know, and then we could get into the whole net price calculator conversation and how to estimate expenses and say, well, okay, if it does end up being that amount, then would you come here? Um, so it's a little bit of an in-depth answer. Not probably, we don't have a lot of time to, uh, to get into to that, but in general, you have power coach over your roster. And I would use that because don't give it over to the school and the admissions department that, you know, you have to wait for them, for the athlete to make a decision. Uh, because you need that decision sooner, probably. Um, so that that's again very in-depth answer that I'm happy to talk about. If you call or email, we can discuss that, and I can walk through, find out more also about specific situation and the type of school it is that would help guide that answer a little bit more accurately. And I will be putting uh, Dan's contact information back up at the end of this presentation. Uh, I've got another question here. As a track coach, we try and get early offers out in the fall. How far out is a realistic deadline for the offer? Right. Um, and so it's interesting, like when you put all these, you know, correcting these mistakes and you lay out the, the components of how mistakes are corrected, it's interesting that coaches begin to think in a linear way. And, you know, of course, then it sort of necessitates what that there should be a deadline, that there should be something, you know, that this is a there's a start and a beginning or a, a start and a finish to this. And so where is the finish? Um, the realistic deadline is really, Coach, and I want to oversimplify it, it's really what you want. Now, you know, there's a there's a limit to that. As a track coach, you're going to have different event groups deciding at different times. So we see uh, in, the, in the programs we work with, uh, cross-country kids deciding much sooner in the process than the sprinters and hurdlers because they typically want to try to cut that – 0.1 or 0.2 seconds off for the state meet and get a bunch of you know new offers. Um, so you might have to stagger it in, in terms of event group. But you defining the deadline is the most important thing. So I would say, when do you feel like your competition tends to be wrapping up recruiting? The ones that you're trying to, to uh, compete with or emulate, when are they wrapping up recruiting? What is their deadline? And then I would match that, but then I would actually go maybe a two weeks ahead of that. So give yourself a little bit of, of leading edge, uh, competitive advantage, define that. And usually your prospects will respond to it. So in clients that we've worked with, um, they'll start with, okay, well, I usually get my decisions wrapped up in April. I'm going to move it back to February. And that's a huge deal for them. 60 days earlier, they define it. They go through the recruiting process. You know what happens in most cases most of the prospects they want to decide in February because why the coach said that's when they had to make the decision. 
okay, wow, if I did it in February, maybe I could back it up to late December. And so next year, they'll back it up to late December, go through the process again. What happens? Kids decide in late December. There's a, a point where that becomes unrealistic, but any coach that we have influence over and that we would want to work with, we want to be on the leading edge of getting those decisions. And really, it's just a coach saying, I'm going to, I'm going to say, here's when uh, we're going to be wrapped up with recruiting. I'm going to give them lots of time to decide, but there's going to be a definite end. And if they aren't ready at that point, that probably means that they're not going to come and I need to move on. I need to be the one that walks away. And for a small college coach, especially because I know that's a big audience for this particular session, for a small college coach, or let's just say a non-BCS Division I coach, you taking the same sort of stand and taking the same sort of approach that that BCS coach would take, I think puts you then somewhat at the same level and the same amount of respect then is generated and that's what drives that uh, that decision. So. Um, we've seen that work. And I know I've just been scanning through some of the names. There's been some places where we've been on your college campus and we've taken you through more of the in-depth training. So you know what I'm talking about. It's just that getting over that courage or, or developing that courage to get over that hump to say, okay, I'm going to be the one that takes control of this. All right. I've got another question here. Is there direction on what you should be talking to recruits about? I find that I'm always checking in and would love some specific questions to direct towards recruits. Yeah. Um, okay, well, so two, two different ways to approach this. In terms of, because I made a point during the presentation about what do you talk about, um, telling that recruiting story. It should be more than just about your sport. So for a basketball player in the middle of January, what are they sick of talking about with, with coaches? <clears throat> They're sick of talking about basketball because they've been playing it you're playing it. It's all you ever talk about. The more variety you give about what your campus is like, what that experience is going to be like from, again, the simple things that you were concerned you coach when you were a kid, what are the dorms going to be like? Um, is the education going to be worth it? Um, why should I want to pay that much money? What, why, why there? Um, you know, what, what is your team like? Um, can you set me up with internships? Those are the things that most coaches just don't get into. And over a long period of time, that's what we would want you to get into. When it comes to questions to ask, um, what we want to do is you know, the, the easiest way to, to get a good response from an athlete is, and, and get really, I think, good, unique information that is truthful is to ask them what they don't want. Um, so, so, you know, what type of a coach wouldn't be right for you? Um, in college? Um, what don't you like about early morning practices? What, what wouldn't you want to see at your college when it comes to this, this certain thing? When you ask them that, it sort of flips around uh, their mindset and they don't come in with the pre-rehearsed typical answers. Oh, I want a good education and a chance to succeed, you know, on the court. We don't get that. We get really thoughtful answers because they, they have to be honest about what they don't want. And they haven't practiced that before. So that really uh, generates, I think, good answers. And the other thing I would say is that at the start of the recruiting process, so here, let's just say you've just started recruiting your junior class or a sophomore class, depending on your sport division level. Don't be so concerned with the fact that they aren't answering questions right away because I don't like answering questions from strangers right away. I don't like, I, I need to get to know. I'm, there's this long period. And like we just went over, 
uh, in that seven-step process that the athletes have identified, what we train coaches on, again, when we are get, get on a campus and really dig into how an athletic department works, one of the things that we really emphasize and, and get them to understand is that the good conversations usually don't happen with this generation of kids until late in the process. So coaches that get frustrated about not getting good answers at the start or not getting this good back and forth, please don't be frustrated. You're, it's completely normal. As time goes on, you'll get into those good, good conversations. They need a reason to have the conversation, though, and they need a lot of information from you to prove why you're a school and a coach that should even be considered. So hopefully that's a good overall mix in, in that answer. That's how I would answer it. All right, we are coming up to the top of the hour. If there, if anybody else has any questions, like I said, please do uh, use the raise hand function in the participant box there, and I'll call on you, or you can drop that uh, question into the chat box. Um, Dan, let me just kind of uh, uh, tangent a little bit off of that last question and, and just kind of squeeze this one in. When you're talking to recruits, there's you know all of the very functional questions that you just asked, the very specific questions about practice and internships and that sort of stuff. At what point does kind of the the larger branding message come into this? Say, for instance, you're, you're at, an, at an institution that has a very specific mission, for instance, or it has a very specific way it positions itself in the marketplace. How how does that kind of messaging perhaps play a role in how you talk to a recruit? I think, okay, so for the larger schools or, you know, so you're a Division One school, you're an Ivy League school, something like that, the brand sort of goes out in front. So if I'm a football player and I get contact from a coach at Clemson or Ohio State, I don't need a lot of convincing that that's something that's a positive brand that I need to pay attention to. Or, again, you know, in an Ivy League school, <clears throat> yeah, we, we don't need to be told why Ivy League schools are good places to get a degree from. We just know and it's part of our culture. You're the small school, Division Three, in the middle of Michigan. That, and I've never heard of you, that's where um, I need to really understand the brand. And so from a, a macro level, the, the work that goes into that is, it's not about, you know, advertising being seen on ESPN or getting mentioned on game day or something like that when it, uh, when it comes to developing the brand. You as an individual coach at that school, because there's such a vacuum of missing information, you as the individual coach can come in and say pretty much anything you want about what your brand is. So how do you do that? In recruiting, you have to do it through the, the emails, the letters, what you put on social media, the text messaging, the conversations. What are they getting the feeling of from you? Um, you know, I have a 14-year-old teenager who could eat six meals a day. Whenever we drive by McDonald's, I don't need to convince him that, you know, why his taste buds should start, you know, salivating. And, you know, he knows, Dad, can we drive through McDonald's and get a hamburger? Just because I'm convinced that I, I don't need any, uh, I have a definition of that. At a small college that I've never heard of, I don't have that immediate reaction. You have to teach me what that is. So, through the images, through how you treat me, through the way that you act differently in the recruiting process and how the messaging might look different in the recruiting process, that tells me that you're, the, you know, you're a brand that I should consider. Let's say you are a, a coach at a BCS level school, but your program is being rebuilt. There's not a lot of publicity around it. There's not the definition that, let's say your football or basketball team may have in your sport. 
I need to be the one to explain, here's why you should come play for us. I, I, I glassed, uh, glossed over it uh, in part of the what I talked about uh, during this hour. The two key questions we find recruits at all levels, all sports, male, female, trying to answer in the recruiting process is from every coach, why should I play for you? How are you better than my, my other choices? Those are the two key things. So if everything that you're writing everything you're sending to them, whatever the brand message is, when they come to campus, I think that's part of your, their experience is part of that brand message. Are you answering those two questions? Why should I compete for you? Why should I go to your school? And also, how are you better? I need proof of that. And again, if I'm a football player and I'm getting recruited by Clemson, I may have a lot of that pre-filled out because I've watched you on TV. I've heard your coach talk or I've I see Trevor Lawrence play. He seems to like it there. Good enough for me. I'm sold. For 99.9% of coaches and their programs and athletic departments, that's not where they're at. And even though you like it there and you know all these great things about it, I don't. I've never heard of you as the prospect. I need you to spend a long amount of time consistently telling me about it and not expect me to be interested right away. It may take three, four, six months to turn my head eventually but it, I need to win at the end, not at the beginning. And so from a branding standpoint, we're trying to establish brand dominance. That's, what, that's how we do it over a long period of time. Um, we, have to, we have to take that approach. My thanks again to Dan for his time and willingness to share his ideas with the Small College AD community. You can get in touch with Dan by email and social media. His information is posted in the show notes for this episode, found at the podcast page of my website, hartwellstudioworks.com. On whatever podcast platform you're listening to this show, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and write a review. Help other sports professionals find this podcast. If you'd like to talk some sports branding, you can reach out to me by email at john at hartwellstudioworks.com. You can also follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, using the handle Hartwell Studio. And you can check out my entire portfolio of sports branding work at HartwellStudioWorks.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Music